How many of you have ever uh, gone on, a, on an extensive hike or just enjoy hiking or have enjoyed hiking in the past? Some of you? Okay. Um, some of you I know um, have uh, hiked in your cars uh, and gone from place to place. Others have uh, ridden bikes and, and some of the more brave have taken to trails and looked at sites from just the standpoint of uh, of, of, of just uh, walking and looking around and seeing things at a slower pace. And one person that I know in our church that has been a pretty avid hiker for a long time um, is Bob Martin. And I don't know if you've ever talked to Bob Martin about hiking, but I know that in the last uh, uh, you know 10 years since I've been here, he has uh, he's hiked in a number of places. And uh, one of the things that he told me uh, as uh, he was preparing for a hike in California, uh, was that you have to have yourself conditioned so that you can do the hike and not get midway through and, and end up collapsing. And so he would talk about taking his backpack and loading it down and then spending uh, weeks in advance just wearing it and uh, wearing things like ankle weights and anything that can just build up your stamina for that, uh, for that journey. And he, he shared with me that if you, if you didn't do that, um, you would probably not make it. And he mentioned uh, a time when he went to California and hiked, um, uh, uh, I, I believe it's uh, the, the trail that basically runs north and south uh, up, up through California. And uh, one of the persons that came with him didn't go through that process of preparing. And uh, it became obvious very quickly uh, that he was struggling and quite possibly uh, couldn't make it. And I remember him talking about sharing the load and all of that so that they could get through it. Uh, and it was, uh, it was really kind of uh, eye-opening for me to think uh, all that has to go into preparing and what, uh, what, what I find so intriguing about it is I very much see the, the Christian life not as a static, oh, I'm saved, uh, I've got my fire insurance paid up, so I know I'm not going to hell, and I'm just going to write it out until I die, and then, then we'll, we'll be good. Uh, but rather, it is uh, baptism into uh, waters of, of basically death that call you up in the newness of life. So that, like Jesus, uh, you go out and you begin the journey. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my son Christian is uh, hiking through national parks this summer. And it's interesting because when we were in South Africa, and he uh, was born over there, um, and we call him our, our little African-American, um, and he... Uh, he, he said, um, you know, I, I love plants, and I always, uh, I, I, you know, I became increasingly aware that his love is, is, is profound. Uh, but I never saw him doing what he's doing right now, and that is uh, on this big adventure. But when we named him, we named him after Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever read that book, uh, it's a story of a journey from, uh, uh, from basically our earthly place to uh, the, the heavenly city. And uh, it's cool to see this play out in his life. Uh, it's just, it's uh, sometimes reality is, is, uh, is more cool than, than any story you'd see um, on TV. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Um, so as um, as that's playing out, um, I you know I'm, I'm just reminded of the Christian that is in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and the things that he had to do along the way to make the journey a successful one. And there were um, all of these different sins that are described in that journey that would weigh him down or would perhaps hinder his forward progress. And I thought I would just take that classic catalog of the seven deadly sins which are mentioned in that book and, and, and look at them through the eyes of a person who's taking a journey and also through the Sermon on the Mount. So if that's a lot to swallow, hopefully we can digest it slowly and in a good way together. Um, so if you have, um, you know, if, if you have your, your message outline in front of you, what I'd like to do first of all is look at some of the scriptures that are mentioned. And I want to look at the first sin of the seven uh, that we will encounter. And uh, it's, uh, it's highlighted in Matthew 6, and, it, and it's described in further detail uh, in the following verses. But essentially, it opens up by saying, uh, and this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And essentially what Jesus was taking on was, um, was this sense that, oh, there's my water right there. I'm, I'm, I'm already uh, a little parched from the journey. So I probably wouldn't make it very far, I'm sure, I would imagine. Um, Jesus is looking at, of all people, religious people, and they're parading around with a high degree of pride, uh, saying, look at me, look at me, look at all the things that I am doing to have great status with God. And, and Jesus would just roll his eyes when he would see that because he knew that it wasn't so much about performance as it was the condition of our heart and perhaps the things in our heart that weren't right that needed to be dealt with. And he said, look at these guys. Uh, they're making a big production out of their lives. But in reality, pride is written all over it. And there are a few other sins that he mentions uh, in the Gospels directed towards them that we won't go into. But in each case, they're deadly. He went so far as to say, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that raised a lot of eyebrows with people because they're thinking, well, if they're not going to make it, then how in the world can I make it? And that really proved to be a great question. And Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount some indicators that anyone can follow and anyone can have that tell whether or not your heart is right with God. And we call them the Beatitudes. And the first one in Matthew 5, uh, as he opens up the Beatitudes, so if we back up in the sermon a little bit, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. And that's pretty radically different from the people that uh, in, in Jesus' time that were saying, Look, I'm religious, and if you want to be close to God, you've got to act like me. But you probably never will be, so um, I'm going to pride myself in the display that I have of my righteousness. And Jesus is saying, this is so misguided 
you have all the elements of religion, but your heart is just way off. And he said you have to have the right attitude going into it. Now, one thing that I do know about hiking is you do have to be prepared. And as I underscored that a minute ago, um, I experienced that firsthand and to some degree financially uh, in, uh, in sending my son off uh, to, uh, to, to, to the, the great unknown. Uh, but there are things that he had to take with him. And, and a couple of them I, I have here with me that um, uh, he, he forgot. Uh, he forgot his backpack. And uh, so uh, I thought, well, I'll just use it then. And, um, and I'll just set that right, right here. And it's pretty heavy, actually. Uh, and, and, and then there's, of course, the sleeping bag and tent and, and pillow and things that you need for that. Um, and, and, and inside that backpack is a lot of weight. Matter of fact, there's about seven objects in that backpack that are pretty heavy. And um, I, I, I wrote down their names. Uh, one is, um, and I keep it in my shirt pocket, pride, envy, anger, gluttony, sloth, lust, and greed. And if I keep these things in my backpack for too long, uh, there's a good chance that I'm not going to make it to the end of the journey and it's going to kill me. So I'm going to lighten my load a little bit and just begin with what this says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who have basically nothing as they come before God, except the very breath that he has even given them themselves. Um, And I'm going to just go into a little detail about the meaning of that uh, in a moment, but I want to contrast it with another scripture uh, that we find in Matthew as well, in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And Christian, who is taking the journey in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, is displaying the light of God in his life increasingly as as he gets rid of the weights that he's carrying, and people see it more and more and more. And I'd like for us, as we go through this together this summer, it, to look at what God is doing in our lives so that we can take any excess baggage that we have and lighten our load somewhat and be able to follow our Lord in ways that perhaps we couldn't before because we were too loaded, loaded down. So for the next few minutes, we're going to look at the message outline. But prior to doing that, I'll, I want to show you one more image of a hiking route. I don't know if you know what this is or not. But uh, some of you have heard of it. It's a little over 2,000 miles long. It's a trail, and it's called the Appalachian Trail. Uh, Some of you maybe have even walked on parts of it. Maybe you've just seen uh, the Robert Redford movie, A Walk in the Woods. Uh, If you've seen that, it's a story about uh, the author Bill Bryson going on uh, the Appalachian Trail, and the book is absolutely hilarious. Uh, and, um, and, and it whet my appetite to, uh, to take that trip someday. But then I decided, you know what? I don't do that anymore. I just send my kids, and I'll just live through them. So I convinced them. Uh, I said, when you get wealthy, uh, take six months off, because that's how long it takes, and, and do that. So I don't know if they're going to follow that directive or not. But um, uh, anyhow, 
that uh, is an example of a trail that um, about 300 people a year uh, make. And a lot of people attempt it and they give up. And some people actually go on it and they get lost because they go off trail a little bit and they lose their bearings. And, uh, and, and, and some of them uh, aren't discovered until uh, years later and, uh, and they're no longer alive. Uh, so there are, there are hazards that are in place. And in anything that is worthwhile, that is forward moving, um, there's the possibility that you'll make it to the end and there's a possibility that you won't. And uh, in our case, we're making a spiritual journey from one place to another. And Jesus wanted us, he was our greatest cheerleader so that we could make it to, uh, <laughs> to the finish line of, um, of, 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 of our journey. And um, I, I just want to say before we begin, um, there, there are actually uh, two traveling options that we need to consider. And, I, and, and I'm offering three, uh, basically, but you have to pick two. And uh, here's the first option. The first option is the weight and the benefit of traveling alone. And this is where pride actually is such a, a deadly thing in the process. Pride says um, uh, a lot of things about, about what we think is important and who we think uh, is the most important. And for the religious leaders, they were basically saying, uh, look at us, we're important. And Jesus said, yeah, and it kind of ends with you. Uh, you're not a signpost to God at all. It's just all about you. And uh, there's a form of pride that is like that. There's another form of pride that doesn't really say so much about it's all about me, but rather it just says, um, I like to go it alone. And this is the weight that you carry if um, you have that kind of pride. Like, I want to do it, like Frank Sinatra says in, in, the, in, that, in that great song, my way. I want to do it my way. And so the weight that you have is you have to carry it all. Your backpack has to contain all of the essentials for sustaining your life for the duration of the trip. So it's a heavy load. And as you do it alone, because pride is really about you uh, and your choice and about not letting others tell you what to do or uh, influence you. It is about basically being very strong-willed and self-sufficient. Now, there's nothing wrong with being strong-willed and there's nothing wrong with sufficiency. But when you shut other people out, and even God himself, um, then it's basically God saying, if you want to do it alone, go right ahead. However, the chance of death increases significantly. Uh, there was a, a lady that was in the news last month, and she was hiking the Appalachian Trail. Uh, and her name was uh, Geraldine, and I, I couldn't pronounce her last name, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, Geraldine was 66 years old. And she went on a hike on the Appalachian Trail with, um, with, a, with another uh, lady hiker companion. And um, her companion had uh, health issues that came up uh, about, you know, roughly uh, halfway through the journey. And uh, she told Geraldine, I, I can no longer continue on. I have to go and I have to get medical care. Now, Geraldine wasn't a bad person, but she was very strong-willed. 
and very determined. Uh, but her husband said the only downside of Geraldine continuing on by herself is she has a very poor sense of direction. And uh, ill-equipped for uh, navigation, she carried on. And what, what occurred was she was um, uh, basically um, uh, hiking on the trail, and she decided she would go off trail a little bit and look around. And when she did, she lost her bearings, and she just kept wandering and wandering and wandering. And she survived for about a month. And each day she would write uh, things in her journal, uh, just, just describing her state of mind and the things that were weighing on her. And, and then, you know, eventually uh, it became clear in her journal that her, her, uh, her, her health and her vitality uh, were at an end. And, uh, you know, she just expressed well wishes and love to her family if they ever found her. And she ended up perishing uh, just a few miles off the trail. Because once you get off the trail uh, and you uh, lose your sense of where you're at, um, it's, it's game over. Uh, it's scary stuff. And the thing about doing it alone is you put yourself in a much more vulnerable position to, uh, to, 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 to the elements, uh, to the dangers, to possibilities that would not be there had you included other people on the journey. And so what the bottom line is here, you can choose to go the journey and go it alone. And there are a lot of people who, when they become followers of Jesus, they say, I, I, I want to do it alone. I, I, wanna, I, I don't really want other people involved in this. It's a private, personal faith. And anytime we do our faith in private and we do it alone, we lose out on so much. So much care, prayer, love, encouragement, provision, resourcing that comes from having people around us. Uh, and really the church by design as difficult as it is sometimes, because let's be honest, we're not all easy to get along with at all times. We have our moments, and, uh, and myself included. Um, my, my wife and I were actually uh, on, a, on a team of interns in South Africa uh, before we went as missionaries, and we had to spend eight weeks with these other people that we knew and liked but there were some times where we were so closely confined that we were not real happy that we did know them and we certainly didn't like them and they didn't like us. Uh, but at the end, you know, obviously um, we bonded and uh, have lifelong friendships as a result of it. But we did need each other. And that really goes to the second option that, um, that, that's in play here. And, and that is, um, of course, the benefit is you can do it your way if you do it alone and you do it with pride. Um, but um, you can consider another option, and that is travel with others. And two things can actually happen when you travel with others. If you're in groups of people and you're moving forward, and by that I mean a, a group walking down a trail like the Appalachian Trail or a people that assemble every week in the church or in small groups, and they move forward together on life's journey. It works well. You can travel light. 
if you have humility, it's just this sense that I'm not burdened by concerns that are sideways energy or drama that um, uh, preoccupies everybody. Uh, with humility, it is I'm putting other people first. And we can travel light uh, as uh, as a church or as a small group or as a, a team of companions when everyone is thinking about other people in terms of uh, their well-being. Or we can be heavy with pride. And uh, like any group, if there's a person who says um, it's all about me or if there's a person who says it's all about what I want, then it's like if you've got more than two people uh, two to 10 or 50 or 300 or whatever, who all say we want to do it my way, uh, it just doesn't seem to work very well at all. It seems to be very heavy and you can't go very far. Uh, So when you travel with others, um, you have to actually pick one or the other with the group. So it's sort of like a sub-circle. You know, yeah, I don't want the pride option. I don't want number one, but I I like number two. And if I have number two, I I know that I've got to do it with humility or I have to do it with my will uh, in charge. And as a pastor, I do know this. Humility always wins, wins the day more than just forcing my will all the time. Um, And that applies to each of us. So there are benefits when humility is in play. Everyone watches out for each other. And everyone values their need for each other and their strength for the journey. I heard an interesting story yesterday by a, 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 an individual who uh, lived in Columbus. And his name was Al Nash. And he was an immigrant. And when he came here, uh, he was uh, making clothing. And his, one of the vendors that he was working with to supply the clothing decided that he wanted to give up his business. And he had a bunch of uh, basically sweatshop people working for him. And it wasn't the best of conditions. And Al said, even before he met the people that he was going to work with, he said, you know what? I want to I run this business with the golden rule. I want to treat my employees as they would treat me. And so he met with the people, and some people were only making like $4 a week. And, and he just said, you know what, you're only making $4. Um, i am going to give you 12 And he would like triple the number of the, of the wage for each person that was in, in their employee. And all the people were like, holy cow, who is this guy? He really cares about us. And as a result, his goodwill towards them, his desire for them to, uh, to be blessed like, like he had been blessed, just began to pay off. And it was sort of like this self-reinforcing virtuous cycle of uh, everyone working together. And he, he wasn't even sure how he was going to pay these people. He just knew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this because my conscience says I have to treat my employees well. And so he made that attempt, and he wasn't sure how the books were going to pan out. And when he asked at, uh, at, the, at the end of a certain business cycle, his accountant, what the revenues were, he said, you're going to be shocked to hear this, but they're three times what they were. And he said, well, how, how could that be? And he went and talked to the employees. And one of the employees said, when you came in and you said you wanted to treat us 
like uh, you would want to be treated, and then you, you, in that same spirit, increased our wage, we decided we were going to in- increase our output. And uh, as a result, he just continued going to bat for him over and over and over. And it was, they were going to bat for him back over and over and over. And it wasn't a formula as much as it was in his heart. He wanted to see good things happen to the people that were in his employ. And there were other business people who were beginning to take note at, at his business as it evolved and began to get a greater share of the market. And they would ask him, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm just treating my people as I would want to be treated. And so they'd write down a formula and they'd go back to their business and they would try it, but it wouldn't work. And he basically said, if you're not, if you're not exercising um, the brother rule, and they're like, huh? What do you mean the brother rule? And he said, if you're not truly treating this person like your brother, then no formula in the world is going to make it happen. It has to come from your heart, not just some business uh, thing that is uh, flavor over the month that you're telling your employees to do. And I believe that what he did is just essentially what Jesus was saying, that if we have this attitude of humility towards each other, then when we're working together, we're walking together, and when we're, when we're watching out for each other and the needs of each other and the strengths for the journey, then you find out that it is going to be very easy to reach your destination. But you can, you can forget all of that if you want to, and you can take in your pride and say, I want to do it uh, my way. I want to carry the weight of my pride around. I want to prioritize my own agenda. And then people start to get hurt. And my, my son Christian was telling me that even out of the gate, uh, we have six people on the team that are getting ready to go to, uh, on this big trip. And all, already there's, there's different ideas about how, how this should transpire. And he said, Dad, this thing's really going off the rails. And I said, well, have you guys sit down and talked about expectations that you have for one another, expectations that you have for the trip? agreement on who will be responsible and accountable for things. He said, no, we haven't really dealt with that. And I said, well, why don't you sit down and talk about that, get everybody aligned on what it is that you're wanting to do, get everybody to to agree with it, have a professor oversee it, and then have everybody sign off on it. And uh, he, he went and he did that, and he said, you know, that helped everything to get in order. And it took some of the chaos out because everybody was just sort of directing what should happen. And in that team conversation, they began to agree on what was important and what wasn't and how they could get to uh, the end of their destination with everything being understood. And a lot of times, it's just a matter of communication. When that doesn't occur, people get hurt. And they can get hurt emotionally. They can even get hurt on the trail physically. A person will say, I'm going to go on this leg of the trail. I'm going to kind of explore some uncharted territory. And everyone else might say no. But this person says, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. Only to find that they don't return in a few hours. And then they have to go and find them. And then all of a sudden, um, chaos begins to reign. 
And anytime you're separated from the group, it seems like your vulnerabilities and your chances of getting hurt are much greater. And it's no different for us. And when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he wasn't talking about an individualized religion that we experience just as our own private journey. He was addressing a group of people and how this group of people would actually live and exist together as citizens of God's kingdom. And he was prioritizing, in his case, the role that humility needed to play. And there's nothing harder for us than to say, I was wrong, or to say, I don't want to necessarily, I'm willing to not do it my way, and I'm willing to process this and do it the way that wisdom of maybe the group in this case would, uh, would prevail. And it's just interesting, Jesus sees all that in you and I. And when he gives this sermon, he sees that when you prioritize yourself and your pride, things go south. But when you work together in a spirit that is defined by the things that he says in the Beatitudes, things really start to hum along. And um, one thing that, um, that, 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 we, that we conclude is there is a third option, and that is Jesus wants to underscore as he opens up uh, this Sermon on the Mount, and he describes the most important thing that we have to do. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And there's been a lot of debate about what that means. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And There are a variety of commentators that I've read over the years who try to give meaning to that. It could be poor people. It could be spiritually a a poor person. But one commentator wrote something that I think really made a lot of sense. Because the word spirit in in, in the Greek is uh, pneuma, which is where we get the word pneumatic and air. Um, and it is uh, that life-giving spirit that God breathed into uh, the first humans when he gave them life, uh, and his spirit animated them. And as a new creation, God's spirit is also breathed into us, and his presence empowers us and enlivens us. And the one thing that I know about the imagery that Jesus is using here is, have you ever looked at something that was a big undertaking and before you began, you just kind of stared at it and then you went, you took a deep breath. Have you ever just instinctively done that? Like, okay, I'm ready. And that's essentially what he's driving at. It's like you need to take in the breath of God's presence. You need to acknowledge right at the beginning, I do not have what it takes, but God does. And I'm going to trust him at every turn for everything that I need on the road ahead. And our faith is really about trust, isn't it? The very beginning steps that we make 
to follow Jesus are premised on trust and obey. Abraham said, was told, go to the land I'll show you, and you'll have a kid. And he's like, I'm not sure about either one of those, but I'll trust you. And ever since then, God's been calling you and I to trust him for the journey. And he says, basically, you're carrying a weight in your backpack, and it's a heavy one. And if you keep carrying it, and it is probably the greatest weight of all, it is your pride. And if you keep carrying that weight around, and you don't let it go, and you don't trust me, and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lighten my load, I'm going to empty my load, and I'm going to take this heavy weight of pride, and I'm just going to throw it off to the side. And I'm just going to acknowledge that, yeah, I was saying I could do it all my way, but I can't. And so I'm dependent on you. I need your life-giving spirit for each breath, for each step, for each day, for each month and year, and for the rest of my life. Give me this day my daily bread and everything else that I need. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And Jesus just starts the Sermon on the Mount almost as if saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you were a good Hebrew, you would have saw the significance of how he said that and that word that he used. It's a pretty cool word, pneuma, pneumatikos, it's the word for spirit. Um, it, is, it is the word that, um, that, 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 that just goes on to describe every part of this, uh, this experience as God's Spirit leads us. Now there's another word here called blessed. And it's the Greek word makarios, which you don't need to know that. Uh, but a lot of people say, well, what does it mean to be blessed? Uh, some people, like Robert Schuller, would say, happy are the people that um, are poor in spirit. But it's not really about your state of mind as much as the openness that you are to have the heart of God. Did you catch that? It's just the willingness to have the heart of God. And if you seek the heart of God, you begin to experience the joy of God. And all of a sudden, that despair and hopelessness that you had... When you go to the Lord and you say, I'm worried about the future, I'm worried about my health, I'm worried about my kids, I'm worried about my job, I'm worried about my finances. And you go to God and you say, God, I am poor at every level. And God said, I want to bless you with my life-giving presence. And I want to help you with each of these areas because you recognize your dependence on me. And I just want you to know my joy And I want that joy to replace the burden of all those things that weigh you down so heavily. And that's one thing that I've experienced as a believer because I have all those worries and they try to creep back in. And I just keep saying, you know what, I I can only do what I can do. But the most important thing that I can do is trust God in these areas because I know that he not only is my shepherd and my guide for the journey, He's in charge of the environment that I live in. Jesus richly knew that. And he said to those that were paying attention, you'll be blessed if you trust. And you start with God. There's just one more insight. I've got to throw this in. I can't help it. 
Uh, but the, the, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. And I know you could probably care less about this nerd stuff, but um, the word Aleph, whenever you say it, you don't say it. It's, it's there, but it's, it's like, that's how my Hebrew professor, I said, how do you pronounce Aleph? He said, and I said, huh? He said, it's like, I said, it's like taking in a breath, isn't it? He said, yeah, it's exactly like that. It has this sense of, and then you go on with the rest of the alphabet. And it's just one more way that God shows us. We have to sort of breathe him in, and then that's when we begin. But if we say, I don't have room for you inside of here, God, God will say, that's okay. If you want to do it alone, go right ahead. But I'm just offering myself into your world because I know the burdens that you carry. And I want to help you with those burdens. And I want to surround you with church people that can help you with those burdens. And I want you to travel as light as possible, but also recognize that as you travel, uh, I'll be with you and the people that I surround you with will be with you. And so you travel as if every breath depends on God and the people that he's put into your life. And this is the last thing I like about this, the benefit. I don't really see a downside at all in traveling with God because um, when I travel as a person poor in spirit, dependent on God at every turn, that's the best way to prepare for the journey. With God, there just is no downside. He's God, and he helps us through everything. Your problems may seem insurmountable in this moment, but God says, whatever your problem is, I'm bigger than that. And then God blesses us richly, as I mentioned. I use a Spanish word there, bien, bien aventurado. I'm still working on my Spanish lessons from Shirley. Uh, but that actually means good adventure. And one scholar who was Spanish, who translated the Beatitudes, said, beyond aventurado are the poor in spirit. Beyond aventurado. And he went on to say that. And it basically has this image of a person who is on an adventure, but knows that this adventure is going to end in success and it's going to end in a cheering crowd. And he knows in his heart that as he's taking this adventure, there's going to be joy along the way. And instead of the weight of the burden, is it over, is it over? It's going to be a light load that is, despite the adversity of the circumstances, it's going to be filled at its very central Heart with the joy of God and with, the, with the, the promise of knowing that there is a group of people celebrating at the end of this good adventure. And the commentator that I read said, what Jesus spoke, he spoke at first in, 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 in Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew. And there is no English word that captures it very well. The word blessed is pretty weak. But bien aventurado catches it very well. I don't know Spanish that well, but I like the way he described it. And I like the spirit behind it. And I just like the life and the vitality and the health that comes from being blessed by God. And I wonder, are you blessed by God? Or are you still living under the curse? 
which is the weight of the fall. It is the life lived under the, the ruler of this world. It is the burden of having to do it alone. It is the fear that haunts us every day, thinking that I'm vulnerable. And all of those heavy things that are indicative of the curse that happened a long time ago. There's good news. Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the grave. And he is now Savior and Lord. And his whole design is to bring us into a journey where we experience his blessing. And we are constantly surveying the landscape to bring others alongside with us as we go. And maybe today God is calling you to join us on this journey. And maybe God is saying there's some weights that we need to throw off. And the first one may just be your pride. It's not easy for us to humble ourselves and say I need a savior. But when you do, life is a lot easier on the road ahead.